With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, guys. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. I'm Liz Wheeler. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so. Just pick up your iPhone, bring up Apple Podcasts, search The Liz Wheeler Show, hit subscribe. Over on YouTube, yes, I'm back on YouTube. Although, fun fact, they demonetized my channel, not for any specific offense, but just because they said, in general, my videos don't fit in their terms. So I still appreciate if you subscribe over there because it helps other people find my content. But yeah, they demonetized me. So if you'd prefer, you can subscribe on Rumble, which is rumble.com slash Liz Wheeler. I appreciate everybody who's been subscribing so much. Um, It helps the show. It helps us grow the show. So really appreciate that. Okay, what are we going to talk about on the show today? I want to talk about The Atlantic, the publication. They used to be such a good publication. It's it's sad to see what they've done to themselves. It's definitely a self-inflicted wound. They're dreadful now. They're partisan. The only thing that I will say is they do have talented writers, but the, the content of what the writers are writing is basically drivel. And this article is no exception. It was written by Professor Emily Oster, who is an economist at Boston University. And the title of the article is Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. And I just want to say from the get go, I'm not gonna, I, 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 this is a great piece. It's a fabulous piece. Now you might be surprised that I'm saying that. Um, what I'm not saying it's a good piece. It's totally wrong. It's infuriating, but it is a great piece to drop right before the midterms because it gives us a chance to think about what's happened the last, what are we at? 21, almost three years, two and a half years in the name of COVID and what we can, we can be a little bit retrospective. You know, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? How should we end COVID? What's the proper accountability for those who got it wrong? Because what Professor Oster is advocating for is for us to just like men in black memory hole this, just wipe the slate clean, just she said, we'll forgive each other and let's move on. And (laughs) when I read this, I was like speechless. I was like, are you joking? You want us to just forget what you have inflicted on us in the name of COVID. So I want to read a little bit of her, read a little bit of her article and then talk about this and how it affects our country in the larger sense. So let's get to it. Okay, guys, I want to talk first about cozy earth. I want to ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? If you answered this question, not so great, or eh, just okay, or please don't ask me that question. Well, you're not alone. One out of every three Americans report being sleep deprived, and the sheets on your bed could be part of the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. You wake up feeling gross. But there's a solution to this. It's called cozy earth sheets. They're the softest, most luxurious and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows Cozy Earth sheets to breathe so that you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy Earth even offers a 100 night sleep trial, which means that you have up to 100 nights to sleep on it. Wash it, try it out. If you are not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. But let me tell you, 
I think you're going to like it. I like Cozy Earth Sheets. They're on my bed at my house right now. And I got you a really good deal. You can now save 35% on Cozy Earth bamboo bedding, 35%. Just go to CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry. This offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35 for 35% off. You'll be glad you did. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, so who is Emily Oster? I was actually already familiar with this woman before she wrote this article. Because when I was pregnant with my daughter, I read her book, which is a wildly best-selling book. Every mom that I know has read this book. It's called Expecting Better why the conventional pregnancy wisdom is wrong and what you really need to know. Now, as you might imagine, that kind of title really appeals to me. I'm a natural skeptic in every area, not just politics. And I don't believe the experts. I want to see proof. I want to see people who are dissenting from the conventional wisdom. And so I read this book and I thought this book was such a load of BS. It it essentially, what she writes in this book, and believe me, this ties into her, her COVID stuff in a second. Essentially, she wrote that um, that women who are pregnant can still drink wine. Women who are pregnant can still drink coffee, despite the fact that alcohol and caffeine can be toxic for an unborn child. And this was very appealing, I'm sure. I mean, it, it seems to me like her target audience was upper middle class white women who just had to have their frappuccino, even if they were pregnant, you know, that and, and I, I, I understand that. I guess I'm making fun of it because yeah, just put the coffee down, just put the wine down, like protect your unborn baby. But what really turned me off wasn't wasn't that I understand actually that in Europe, they drink wine while they're pregnant, not in excess. And their kids turn out to be fine. And I understand that in the United States, sometimes policy is based on not trusting people like not trusting women to moderate their intake of caffeine or wine. And so instead, saying having a zero tolerance policy, I get that there may be a point there. Um, However, what turned me off of this book was this, this Dr. Emily Oster pretends to be a data driven scientist, she pretends to analyze the studies. But when I got to the chapter on childhood vaccines, especially the infant vaccines, she had nary a criticism to make nothing. She dissented from the CDC recommended vaccine schedule, not at all, nothing, wouldn't even admit that there are some adverse effects that certain babies genetically are predisposed to not handling them as well, nothing. It was vax, vax, vax your baby. And I thought, oh my God, this woman is obviously in the pocket of big pharma. She's not really looking at the studies because if you really look at the studies, it's not that hard to find the flaws in um that the flaws that underpin the conventional wisdom on many of these vaccines. So I was already, moral of this story is I was already familiar with this woman. I was already familiar with being skeptical of her claims because I think she's been wrong before. So during COVID, she was a pretty big COVID freak. She was, she was masking her kids. She was all about the vax. She was um, advocating for shutdowns of schools, all that kind of stuff. So now she writes this article. Fast forward to this week. She writes an article, let's declare a pandemic amnesty. The subtitle of this article is, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. 
<laughs> okay. You want to you want me to tell you honestly what my first thought was? My first thought before I read any of this article when I just read the title and the subtitle was I did nothing and said nothing that requires forgiveness. You have no reason to need to forgive me. It's you and the people on the left who need to beg for forgiveness for what you did, but there's no even exchange, no barter of mutually admitting that we did and said things wrong. I am not in the wrong here. I've been right since the beginning. You've been wrong. And so it's not just let's declare amnesty and move along. That was my, that was my immediate thought. But this is what she writes. I want to read just a little bit of this. It's not a very long article. She goes, in April of 2020, with nothing else to do, my family took an enormous number of hikes. We all wore cloth masks that I had made myself. We had a family hand signal, which the person in the front would use if someone was approaching on the trail and we needed to put on our masks. Once, when another child got too close to my then four-year-old son on a bridge, he yelled at her, social distancing. Does that just make you like throw up in your mouth a little bit? Yikes. Yikes. She writes, these precautions were totally misguided. In April of 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. That's the premise of her article, by the way, is we didn't know. And I can test the premise of her article because we did, in fact, know. We knew right from the beginning that masks were ineffective. And the reason I'm saying that is because the very first week of COVID-19, I thought that surgical masks might be effective, that they showed limited efficacy. But as I read the studies from around the world and throughout history, I realized that no, there's no scientific evidence that showed that. So literally the first week of the pandemic, I was like, okay, maybe we should, maybe we should wear surgical masks. And then I was like, mm, nope. That was the first week, not in April, not making cloth masks. We knew, we also knew that there was not outdoor transmission because <laughs> Outdoor transmission of stuff just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. She goes on to say, I've been reflecting on this lack of knowledge thanks to a class I'm co-teaching at Brown University on COVID. We've spent several lectures reliving the first year of the pandemic, discussing the many important choices we had to make under conditions of tremendous uncertainty. Some of those choices turned out better than others. To take an example close to my own work, there was an emerging, if not universal consensus, that schools in the US were closed for too long. Whoa, whoa, hold on a second there. There was not a universal consensus that schools in the U.S. were closed for too long. There was a politically divided opinion. Conservatives thought that schools were closed too long, and liberals thought that they weren't closed long enough. And all of a sudden, everyone thought schools were closed too long. No, 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 no. Don't even try to claim that. She goes, the health risks of in-school spread were relatively low, whereas the costs to students' well-being and educational progress were high. The latest figures on learning loss are alarming, but in spring and summer 2020, we only had glimmers of information. Reasonable people, people who cared about children and teachers, advocated on both sides of the reopening debate. Yeah, people who care about children, like Randy Weingarten. Randy Weingarten, by the way, tweeted that she agrees with, with Emily Oster on this article. Okay, Oster goes, another example, when the vaccines came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of the Johnson & Johnson shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. The mRNA vaccines have won out, but at the time, many people in public health were either neutral or expressed a J&J &J preference. This misstep wasn't nefarious, it was the result of uncertainty. I like how when she's talking about the vaccine, she picks like the least controversial thing that no one cares about. 
She doesn't pick anything related to the controversy about the vaccine, that it's that it was developed too quickly, that it wasn't tested properly, that it's experimental, that we're still not using the FDA version of it, that there's mandates which are unethical, immoral, and unconstitutional, that it causes harm, that it doesn't stop infection, it doesn't stop transmission. No. She touches none of that. She only talks about, well, it wasn't nefarious to recommend the J&J vaccine. Literally no one cares about that. She goes, obviously, some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with, with bleach? That was bad. Misinformation was and remains a huge problem, but most errors were made by people who were working in earnest for the good of society. Um, the bleach narrative was a political narrative. The bleach narrative was the Democratic Party and the mainstream media, who's the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party, trying to accuse President Trump of advocating for a dangerous, unscientific cure for COVID-19 so that they could portray him as an idiot and thus gain political points from it. It wasn't an actual good faith effort by the U.S. government to put to, put to bed a dangerous narrative that was organically taking root. No, not at all. Not at all. It was a, it was a political hit job and it was stupid. But Oster says, given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic. And on every topic, someone was eventually proved right and someone else proved wrong. In some instances, the right people were far were right for the wrong reasons. In other instances, they had a prescient understanding of the available information. The people who got it right for whatever reason may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong for whatever reason may feel defensive and retrench into a position that doesn't accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. In the face of so much uncertainty, getting something right had a hefty element of luck. And similarly, getting some, something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which someone racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. This is where it's just totally bananas. Like, what world does she live in? Getting something right required putting the fear that politicians were trying to instill in us aside and looking at the facts, drawing conclusions from the facts that were unfolding, the empirical evidence, as well as history, as well as scientific epidemiological knowledge of viruses that are SARS, that are SARS viruses. Getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. It certainly is a moral failing to mandate a vaccine that's both ineffective and dangerous. That's absolutely a moral failing. That's to deny elderly patients who are dying in the hospital, their family members at their side, that is a moral failing. And yes, we should keep scorecards on who was right and who was wrong because oftentimes the people who were wrong were in positions of power and they imposed their wrongness on us. Of course we should keep track of that. Osa writes, we've had to put these fights aside and declare, or we have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. You, we can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. <laughs> this is actually the funniest sentence, I think, in the whole article. We have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. We can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation. Oh, professor, and who might that be? Who are the willful purveyors of misinformation? And you don't want an amnesty for them? So are you talking about Fauci? Burks? Walensky? Biden? You talking about Big Pharma? Pfizer? Moderna? Gavin Newsom? Andrew Cuomo? 
who are you talking about here? The, uh, the willful purveyors of actual misinformation. But no, of course, she's talking about those of us who dissented from the beginning against masks, against social distancing, and against vaccines, in addition to dissenting against um, lockdowns and the destructiveness of those lockdowns. It's so funny, call an amnesty, but not for the people that I think were totally wrong. Okay, girl, okay. She goes, Los Angeles County closed its beaches in summer of 2020. X post facto, this makes no more sense than my family's masked hiking trips. But we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. We need to forgive the attacks too. Because I thought schools should reopen and argued that kids as a group were not at high risk. I was called a teacher killer. It wasn't pleasant, but feelings were high. And I certainly don't need to dissect and rehash that time for the rest of my days. Moving on, she says, is crucial now because the pandemic created many problems that we still need to solve. Student test scores have shown historic declines, more so in math than in reading, and more so for students who were disadvantaged at the start. We need to collect data, experiment, and invest. Is high-dosage tutoring more or less cost-effective than extended school years? Why have some states recovered faster than others? We should focus on questions like these because answering them is how we will help our children recover. Or, Professor, how we address this, how we address the problems that were created by politicians is recognizing which politicians were wrong, firing them, never letting a politician who abused their power get near power again so that these poor children who were harmed by their deliberate bad choices aren't harmed in the future. If we don't keep a historical scorecard, then this can and this will happen again. It's naivete, it's embarrassing naivete for this woman not to recognize that. She goes, many people have neglected their health care over the past several years. Notably, routine vaccination rates for children for measles, pertussis, et cetera, are way down. Rather than debating the role that messaging about COVID vaccines had in this decline, we need to put all of our energy into bringing these rates back up. Pediatricians and public health officials will need to work together on community outreach, and politicians will need to consider school mandates. Oh, and there we have it. Professor Emily Oster is a big pharma shill who wants vaccine mandates for your children, who thinks the role of public health officials and pediatricians is only to bully you into following the CDC recommended schedule, which now includes the COVID-19 vaccine for kids. Oh my word. She says the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, but dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward. No, thank you. Next. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation. That is the line that gets me more than anything else. You know what she doesn't talk about in this article, not even once? We're going to talk about that in just a second, but first I want to talk to you about Beam Organics. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity? If you sleep less than six to seven hours per night, you not only feel crappy in the morning, but it's actually linked to reduced white blood cell count, which is bad. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important, not just to how you feel during the day, but also your overall health. So I want to introduce you to Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand. They have unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And I got you a special discount today available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients. It's triple lab tested, no THC, and you wake up refreshed. 
I'm an actual numbers girl as opposed to professional uh, Professor Emily Osser. And 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. Can't argue with those numbers. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir and enjoy 30 minutes before bedtime. You And if you don't love it, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you go to beamorganics.com slash Liz if you use my code at checkout, L-I-Z. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz. Beamorganics.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Okay, so do you know what Professor Emily Oster doesn't mention once in this article where she's saying that we should mutually extend pandemic amnesty. I'll forgive you for what you said and did. You forgive me for what I said and did. Well, I didn't do anything wrong, so I don't need forgiveness. So I'll pass on the amnesty deal. She doesn't talk once about the nursing homes. In New York, in Michigan, that forced patients, COVID positive patients into nursing homes, which are the highest risk communities, leading to the death of literally thousands and thousands of grandmothers and grandfathers. Are we just supposed to declare amnesty on that? Let that go? When Andrew Cuomo knew what he was doing and did it anyway, I'd like you, Professor Oster, to look the families of those who lost their grandparents in the face and tell them, just let it go. Just brush it aside. Let's just move forward. Hospitals refuse to allow family members to spend the last moments of their loved one's life by their side. They had, people had to FaceTime or Skype. They had to video chat their parents as their parents died alone. We're supposed to just move past that and declare amnesty? Those of us who experienced loss at the hands, not of a virus, but at the hands of politicians, don't want those politicians to have the power to do that to us again. People weren't allowed to have funerals for their family members who died. Declare amnesty, says Emily Oster. And then we have the vaccine mandates. My family is not the only family where someone lost their job because of a vaccine mandate. My husband was fired from his job because he didn't take the COVID-19 vax. That happened to more Americans than I care to count. Costing people their livelihoods. But we're just supposed to declare amnesty and move on? These vaccine mandates are still in effect if you work in the healthcare industry. She never once mentioned the severe adverse reactions of the COVID-19 vaccine, the mRNA vaccine, myocarditis, death, fertility issues for men and for women. She never mentioned the fact that it doesn't stop you from contracting the virus, it doesn't stop you from transmitting the virus, so why would people get it anyway? She also doesn't mention the fact that the CDC has now put the COVID-19 vaccine on their recommended childhood immunization schedule, not because children are at high risk, of contracting COVID-19, not because there are significant vectors of this disease, but because big pharma, Pfizer, needs COVID to be recommended to children in order for them to qualify for permanent immunity from liability for any harm that their vaccine causes. We're just supposed to declare amnesty and move along. 
I don't think so. Many people died from COVID-19 who didn't need to die from COVID-19. Had we given hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin at the early stages of the COVID-19 virus to people who were in high-risk categories, many people would not have died. But hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin didn't profit Pfizer, didn't profit Big Pharma, didn't profit Fauci and his cohorts at the NIH. And so hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were vilified and demonized and banned. And people who needed it, who would have had their lives saved by it, didn't get it. We're just supposed to declare amnesty and move along. What about remdesivir? Remdesivir actively harmed people, but it profited Fauci, it profited Big Pharma. So it was recommended to people who ultimately died from it and not COVID. But just declare amnesty, I suppose. What about all the surgeries that were canceled because of the lockdowns? People who had health problems that went undetected and untreated. Cancers that advanced to more serious stages, sometimes fatal stages, because they weren't able to get a doctor's appointment. They weren't able to have surgery at the hospital. They weren't able to get the healthcare they needed because government officials, politicians imposed these lockdowns. We just supposed to declare amnesty? This woman mentioned none of these things in her article, not one of these things. She briefly mentioned social distancing as it related to her, her son, who rudely yelled social distancing at another child on a bridge. How embarrassing for her as a mother to have her child behave in that way. But she didn't mention the fact that you and I were not allowed to go to church. We were banned from our houses of worship. We weren't allowed to go to the park. We weren't allowed to go to the beach. We weren't allowed to be outside. There, were, there was a literal paddleboarder in my neighborhood in California who was arrested for being on his paddleboard in the ocean by himself. Restaurants were forced to close down. They went out of business. Businesses were shut down and destroyed. Maybe you had your livelihood stolen from you. People were declared non-essential. But we're just supposed to declare amnesty and move along from this? The thing that gets me the most is that we knew. This is not stuff that we didn't know until after the fact. We knew all along what this was, what we could do to treat it, what we could do to mitigate it, who, was, who had the highest risk of this. We knew the infection fatality rate was not 3.6, which is what the World Health Organization told us. We knew as soon as we had that cruise ship case study that it wasn't, that even in a, in a population of older people where the, where the infection fatality rate would be higher, it still was 1%, under 1%. We knew that almost immediately. Dr. Fauci knew that masks didn't work. And yet they mandated them anyway. But Emily Oster is a big pharma shill. She's proved that. I mean, she talked about pediatricians and politicians mandating childhood vaccines in her article, instead of talking about all of these things. It's why I threw her book, her Expecting Better book in the trash. It's garbage. Not interested in it. She analyzes studies, my eye. Now she wants to mandate it. This is a tweet of hers that she tweeted during the COVID, during the COVID outbreak. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Bambi. Now, I like Bambi. I think you will too. Because small business owners, have you ever had an issue with employee attendance? Have you ever had an employee altercation in the workplace? Have you ever been confused on how to handle a situation with an employee or had employee performance issues? Have you ever been stressed about navigating through HR compliance? Who among us hasn't? 
The bad news is that one complaint against your company can turn your whole world upside down. The good news is Bambi is here to help small business owners implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses just like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. This is how it works. First, Bambi's HR autopilot automates your core policies. I'm talking workplace training, employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. They're available by phone, email, or real-time chat. Now, as you know, an in-house HR manager can be unaffordable to small businesses. It can cost $80,000 a year. But with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees. You can cancel any time. You run your business. Let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash Liz right now to get a free HR audit. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Liz. Bambi.com slash Liz. This is what Emily Oster tweeted about the COVID-19 vaccine in the midst of um, in the midst of COVID. She said, shaming people who haven't gotten vaccinated is not likely to work at this point or ever. This is in December of 2021. This is less than one year ago. What will, she asked. Individual family pressure, maybe. Vaccine requirements for things you want to do. Domestic air and train travel. Work, sports events, yes. We can have these things without shame. So on December 22nd of 2021, Professor Emily Oster wanted to force you to get the COVID vaccine against your will if you ever want to take an airplane to visit your relatives ever again. If you want to take a train to work. If you want employment. If you want to attend a sports event. But now she's so generously offering to extend us amnesty. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Personal reconciliation is very different than political reconciliation. So if you are a grandparent and you were not allowed to see your grandchildren during COVID because your children didn't approve of the fact that you weren't vaccinated, so they didn't let you see your grandkids unless you got the jab, yes. Extend reconciliation to to your son or to your daughter. Yeah, they were a moron during COVID, but those family relationships are more important than them being wrong, than them being an idiot during COVID. Absolutely, personal reconciliation and forgiveness. Maybe you had a family member who had a vaccine mandate for their wedding, which is moronic because you're having a big group of people and the vaccine doesn't prevent transmission or prevent you from contracting it. Yes, extend personal reconciliation. I'm all about personal forgiveness. But political accountability is not personal forgiveness. Political accountability is just common sense. Look at this photo. This is a guy named Ben Stanton. What is this photo? He's looking at a FaceTime screen. His father's in the hospital dying, and he's only able to be with his father via FaceTime. His father's dying. And all his father had was a FaceTime of his son. They masked toddlers. Maybe you remember this video. I remember this video. It haunted me for days after I watched this. If I were this mother, uh, um, this mother posted this video on Facebook and it went viral, but she posted and said, heartbroken, this is what's happening to my kid while I work. And if I were this mother, I would have left my job and run down to this daycare center and pulled my child out because this is child abuse. This is what they did to our toddlers. Put the mask on. No, you gotta, put, you gotta wear it on, huh, honey? No, you gotta keep it on. Ah, 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 
Put your mask on. There you go. Keep it right there. Yay, Mason! Yay! You put it on, Mason. Look, we're going to keep it right here. That's in Governor Hochul's New York. Does that break your heart? Is that not child abuse? We should just extend these people amnesty for doing this to our babies? Or what about this? This is at a funeral, a social distanced funeral. How lonely would this be? It's my privilege to have been asked to conduct our service today to celebrate the life of Alan Wright. I therefore offer you all a very warm welcome as we unite in love and friendship to The woman just lost her loved one. They weren't even allowed to sit next to her. It's inhumane. We're just supposed to overlook this? The Biden administration abused the power of the federal government, OSHA, to implement a vaccine mandate, forcing private employers to be the police that fired employees if they refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. People lost their jobs. They lost their livelihoods. People are still dealing with the ramifications of this. And in Gavin Newsom's California, doctors are still losing their licenses if they question the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine for dissenting against Fauci and Big Pharma. Andrew Cuomo has to this day not faced accountability for what he did to elderly people in New York. Fauci told Dr. Scott Atlas in the White House, in the halls of the White House, that people were not fearful enough of COVID. This is after he paid, he gave your taxpayer money to Peter Daszak at EcoHealth Alliance who subcontracted that to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to perform dangerous gain-of-function experiments to juice up bat-derived coronaviruses, coincidentally, just like COVID-19. What about Deborah Burks? Deborah Burks advocated for lockdowns to be extended before she had any data to substantiate her position. She just wanted lockdowns, so she used fear to convince government officials to implement lockdowns. And when the Trump administration dissented, she went directly to governors. She used her position in the Trump administration, abused her position, I should say, and went directly to governors and told them to lock down. In Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer didn't let people garden. In Washington, D.C., Mayor Bowser is still mandating the COVID-19 vaccine for 
high schoolers if they want to attend school under penalty of being expelled. Stacey Abrams, look at this photo. Stacey Abrams uses children as props for a political picture. They're all masked. She's not. Same with Governor Hochul. Look at all those kids. Masked, their faces muzzled, covered. She is smiling for a picture in a mask or without a mask. She, by the way, says if she wins re-election, that she's open to a COVID vax mandate for children as young as kindergarten. And then of course we have the four-year-old who refused to wear a mask. His parents didn't want him to wear a mask in school and the teacher called the police. I welcome him here, and I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I want him here, but it is our district's policy. Uh, Ms. Williams, uh, we have a guest yeah. here in the afternoon. Did you notice? Here she comes, pulling him out of class. I want him here. He is a lovely child. We're here to support and serve him. Our district policy has changed. I am here to serve all students on our campus who cannot keep spending time on the same issue. Thank you. And then it has to have you removed from campus. Okay. If you will. All right. Police officer, police officer, remove a four-year-old from campus. But the school district has decided on independently because. From what I understand, yeah. is the numbers in, within their school district has increased. Yeah. So that's they're basing that decision. And and you know I can't say like what they're doing is wrong, and I can't say what you're doing is yeah. wrong. And and honestly, like both sides have valid points. Yeah. For me, I just gonna make sure the rest of the, as a campus as a whole, everyone's safe, and that kids get their education, and yeah. you know, and, you know that's. And, and you seem like a good dude, you seem good father, and so yeah. I, I, just, I just hope like by next week they lift this and then it's, it's all resolved. What do you guys think? Should we grant these people amnesty? These politicians and public officials? I ask you guys for some of your stories. What happened to you? What politicians did to you under COVID? Jeremy Frankel said, Closing early intervention programs. My son's school was shut down and he missed months of important therapies, PT and OT. El Rez said, our town's middle school created lunch pods. Kids were assigned to sit in groups of four by their school ID number and weren't allowed to sit with their friends. Alaska Ice Road said, my mom lost her battle to breast cancer in March of 2020. We were not allowed to have a funeral. Brewer Gamer said, me and thousands of others were fired from Blue Shield of California, despite working 100% from home over a, over a quarterly booster mandate. That's right, they're requiring a shot every three months, even though I worked entirely from home and never went to a physical office. John Lane said, mandatory jabs to go to college in the New York SUNY system. Zura Holding said, we went out of business. It's actually galling to me that anyone would want to just wipe the slate clean. Wouldn't you want to look at what went wrong? As these politicians, Gavin Newsom dined at the French Laundry as restaurants were put out of business by his, by his lockdowns. Deborah Burks visited her home for Thanksgiving as she mandated an extended lockdown without any data to substantiate it. Neil Ferguson of Imperial College London, who made that original uh, scare model predicting that millions of people in America alone would die in the course of a couple of months if we didn't lock down, he left 
his house broke lockdown to have an affair. You have nothing to forgive us for. We said nothing and did nothing wrong. We are not going to forgive and forget what politicians did to us. That would make us derelict in our duty as citizens. Especially because they're planning to do it again. All you have to do is look at the Biden administration's pandemic response plan moving forward. It is a blueprint of exactly what they did wrong, but they plan to do it all again. We actually did try an amnesty type of moving forward after the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. We didn't do a retrospective. What went wrong and who did it wrong and why was it wrong so that we didn't repeat the mistakes again? We just declared amnesty and repeated a lot of the mistakes that we made in that pandemic again during COVID. This is why I think Emily Oster's article is fantastic. I mean, I, I, I know, I already said she's a fraud. I think she's a fraud. Or a lot of what she says, at least about vaccines, are a fraud. But I'm glad she wrote this article because it allows us to take a moment and be retrospective about COVID policies, especially in the lead up to the elections, to think about what these politicians who imposed horrendous things on us, what they did to us, and why we should trust them with power that they could abuse again. The thing that kills me the most is this wasn't a case of us not knowing. We knew. We knew the infection fatality rate. We knew who was at risk, older people or obese people. We knew who wasn't at risk, children. We knew the prediction models were wrong. We knew lockdowns didn't work. We knew how much harm lockdowns caused from people uh, not only losing their jobs and their livelihoods and, you know, impacting the economy, but health and mental health. We knew that. We knew masks didn't work. We knew social distancing was a crock. We knew school kids were not vectors of transmission. We knew hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin worked as early interventions. We knew natural immunity was helpful, especially at the beginning. We knew the vax was experimental. We knew after a very short time that it didn't prevent transmission. It didn't prevent you from contracting the virus. We knew. You want amnesty? My answer is no. I will never forget what politicians did to us in the name of COVID. People who were part of the tyra this tyranny should never hold one iota of power again. The one thing that we should grant COVID amnesty to is nothing. Politicians should be held accountable for what they've done. And it's our responsibility to do that. All right, on a lighter note, or I think it's a lighter note, the bananas video of the day. I have actually not seen this. My team pulled this, so let's take a look. People wonder why we need a union at Starbucks, and I am literally about to quit. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but, like, I really want to. I almost walked out today, and I'm crying in the back room right now, and I almost cut on the floor. It's just... <laughs> I, like, I get, I'm, I'm like a full-time student. I get scheduled for 25 hours a week. And on a weekend, they schedule me the entire day open to close. I'm on the schedule for eight and a half hours, both Saturday and Sunday. I'm like three and a half hours into my shift. There's so many customers. And we have four people on the floor all day. 
only five people were put on the schedule and somebody had to call out and there are four people running the whole store and there's so many customers and there's possibly scheduled five people. <laughs> we only have 13 people employed at this store and there's so many customers. And they are good. We don't have fair scheduling. Managers don't care about us. Our manager was supposed to come in this weekend and he took himself off the schedule so he wouldn't be able to be held accountable for calling out. He just literally tore down the schedule that he was scheduled on and put up a new schedule where he was on the schedule. Also, he couldn't have even seen that he was scheduled in the first place because he didn't want to be held accountable for not wanting to come in. They don't want to help us. We need a union because this can't happen. This can't happen. We need fair scheduling. <laughs> we need managers to hold themselves accountable for helping their workers. They refuse to turn mobile orders off. We need the liberty oh to be able to do that because there's so many mobile orders and I need to get through all of them. <laughs> and then people are yelling at me because they don't have their orders ready. And they don't know what to do. <laughs> Maybe because you're sitting in a closet. <laughs> I didn't have their order ready. And so they were just like, Talking, talking to each other, and they're like, she's clearly incompetent. I have a full mustache and beard. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I don't get accommodations for being neurodivergent. I don't. <sighs> like, I can't use. Like, I people get mad at me for using my sick time. I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm like at my wits end with this job. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks to my producers for pulling that video. I hope this person got fired. This person sounds like a terrible worker wanting to unionize. Why? Because you are so hard worked that um, aren't you sitting in a closet, literally sitting in a closet, crying and making a video? <laughs> no wonder people are yelling at you for not getting their order ready. You are hiding in a closet. You are not doing your job. Uh, getting misgendered. So this person is some kind of gender diverse individual who is breaking down because um, she is getting misgendered. I think it's a girl who has taken testosterone because I mean, look at the behavior. <laughs> um, yeah, this person should definitely be fired. This person is complaining about working at a job does not understand the world. I got to tell you, I feel just like this tiniest smidge of compassion because, you know, people who have gender disorders usually have pretty serious mental health comorbidities. And this individual is probably a poster child for that. But yeah, first fire her, then get her mental health help. That's it. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.